Welcome, everybody, to your daily dose of video game news at Pixels and Pints for Friday, April 28th, 2023. First up, EA apologist to gamers. In a tweet sent out earlier this morning, EA says, We are aware that Star Wars Jedi Survivor isn't performing to our standards for a percentage of our PC players. In particular, those with high-end machines or certain specific configurations. For example, players using cutting-edge, multi-threaded chipsets designed for Windows 11 were encountering problems on Windows 10. Or high-end GPUs coupled with lower-performing CPUs also saw unexpected frame loss. Rest assured, we are working to address these cases quickly. While there is no single comprehensive solution for PC performance, the team has been working on fixes we believe will improve performance across a spectrum of configurations. We are committed to fixing these issues as soon as possible, but each patch requires significant testing to ensure we don't introduce new problems. Thanks for understanding, and apologies to any of our players experiencing these issues. We will continue to monitor performance across all platforms and share update timing as soon as it's available. Right. Well, today, Star Wars Jedi Survivor was officially released and it has been getting demolished, absolutely slaughtered by PC reviewers and Steam users alike because of poor performance. YouTuber Skillup encountered inconsistent frame pacing and frame rates on an RTX 4090 and AMD 5950X. Wow, that's an expensive setup. Resolutions and graphical settings apparently don't do much. Only enabling RT seems to affect performance, although, you know, in a negative way for obvious reasons. Steam reviews are currently at mostly negative with over 3,700 reviews. Yikes, guys. Now, I haven't played the game yet, but I do own a PC similar to the one Skillup used in his review. And honestly, man, it's really atrocious that investing a nonsense amount of money still isn't able to brute force games like Jedi Survivor into running a decent performance. We just dealt with the atrocious performance of The Last of Us Part 1 on PC. It's taken Naughty Dog nearly a dozen patches and an entire month before getting it into a respectable launch state. Just a state that it should have been at launch. In fact, I think they released a patch just today. Maybe even yesterday. I don't know. But they have been pushing out patches for an entire month just to get things working as it should have. We have been on a roll of terrible PC launches as of late. And this is coming from all sides of the gaming world. Sony has been releasing garbage ports. Third parties are releasing garbage ports. Although, hey man, you know, big ups to Dead Island 2. It seems that that game is kind of solid. You know, it's not the most technically advanced game, but you know, whatever. Xbox kind of nailed it with a hi-fi rush, but man, does it feel like Redfall for Xbox is coming out of the oven while it's still kind of cold in the center. Redfall may be able to be forced into performing decently with a 4090, but man, Everyone else who actually spends their money wisely may find themselves playing an awful stuttery mess at launch. We're going to be finding out in a few days, though. I do believe that the game releases Monday, but we'll, we'll find out. The point is, you need to avoid Jedi Survivor on PC and just pick it up on the PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X if you can. Sorry, PC gamers. 
Next, Sony has a huge Q1 2023 earnings. Sony has announced that the PlayStation 5 has sold a staggering 6.3 million units in Q1, making it the highest number of console sales ever in a quarter one period for any console of any generation. Even more than the Switch. Any, Okay, so quarter one. We're not talking about quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. Even the Switch has not sold as many units as the PlayStation 5 in quarter one. It's a significant milestone, especially as there were no new blockbuster PS5 releases during this period. These sales bring the total number of PS5 units sold to 38.4 million, putting it on track to outperform the PlayStation 4, which sold 117.2 million units since its release in 2013. It's also worth noting that the PS5's first two years were marked by extreme shortages, I'm sure everybody knows that, causing it to pace behind the PS4 for a while. Now that the supply issues have been mostly resolved, it appears that PS5 sales are gaining momentum. This is in contrast to Xbox, which has seen hardware sales drop by 30%. While that company doesn't release specific console sales numbers, it seems like the PS5 will have a bigger generation than PlayStation 4 when it's all said and done. In contrast, the Nintendo Switch, which was released in 2017, has 122.55 million sales. It's not seen as a direct rival to the PS5, but calls for new hardware on the Switch side are growing louder. So the momentum for the Nintendo Switch is unfortunately falling. So we're going to see those numbers stall for the Switch. I think it's still gunning for the PlayStation 2 numbers, and we're not even too sure if it's going to reach it. The PS5 momentum is also likely to increase with upcoming PlayStation 5 exclusive titles from the likes of Naughty Dog, Insomniac, and Sucker Punch, and additional hardware plans such as the PS5 Slim or PS5 Pro. It's expected to be an exciting generation for gamers. So yeah, we, we still aren't sure if Sony is going to be releasing a new variation of the console. I believe, we didn't cover it, but I want to say a couple of days ago, there was a patent that was released, or at least first made public, I should say, detailing a optical drive. We're assuming that this patent is in relation to the PlayStation 5, maybe a slimmer PlayStation 5 that also has the ability to purchase an add-on optical drive. So for people who are digital only, you pick up that new PlayStation 5, you're good to go. If, for example, you love purchasing PS5 discs, like myself, then you purchase that PS5 variation, slimmer, looking nicer, not quite as as monstrous as it is, and you'll be able to purchase an add-on optical drive in order to use your discs. I don't know, that's, we still don't know how that all is gonna come together if it actually does exist. It seems like kind of a hassle that you're going to just I don't know, plug in an optical drive and set it off to the side? Is there going to be a place to like, I don't know, uh, snap it into place so that way it you know, kind of seems like a cohesive unit rather than just a, uh, a piece of hardware that's kind of dangling off of the PlayStation 5, making it maybe even more just kind of ludicrous to try to put in your entertainment center? Man, who knows? Either way, this is great news for Sony, you know, and it paints a bright outlook for the PlayStation brand. However, we really do need Xbox to hit it out of the park for the rest of the year, though. You know, no company should made, be made to feel that they can rest on their laurels, you know? Merger or no merger, Microsoft needs to make Red Star and Starfield stand out and make you want to play on Xbox. 
Game Pass is cool and everything, but they need platform exclusives if they're going to go out and put the hot irons close enough to Sony to make them sweat. You know, and just to be clear, I don't really care if Microsoft completes their merger or if they abandon it. I also don't care what Sony said or didn't say about the merger because business is business, baby. You know, everybody is all of a sudden a corporate lawyer who knows the ins and outs of $70 billion international mergers and acquisitions. If Microsoft is messing up, you know what? It's time to sell that Xbox and get a PlayStation 5. If Sony is getting high on their own supply, you should be happy to abandon that platform to get a PC or Xbox. I mean, for me personally, if I'm being honest, the fact that Xbox pulled that smart delivery crap with Xbox One versions of the games being on the disc, I'm buying PS5 discs, even if I game elsewhere, even if I use Game Pass, I'll still purchase the equivalent PlayStation 5 disc because I like having that thing in my hand. I like being able to put it in a console, being able to play it anytime I want to. I don't have to connect to the internet. I don't have to do none of that. I always make sure that the game is installable and fully playable on the disc. I don't purchase half-assed discs because I'd be willing to buy more Series X games if they stopped pulling that crap like they did with Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon 5. They could have at least put the Halo Infinite campaign on the disc. You know, I don't care if I had to download the multiplayer portion, but at least put the damn campaign on there. I have a worthless disc that I bought because I wanted to support Xbox. Well, I've learned my lesson now. But I mean, I'm not a hater on Xbox. I still buy Xbox One discs because I'm a collector by nature. It's what I do. I love that stuff. Now, if you're a person that's upset about the CMA's decision and you're upset about the United States Federal Trade Commission's combative stance against the acquisition, you need to be making sure you vote for a president who will nominate senators looking out for your interests on the FTC side of things. Otherwise, you're just making yourself look foolish out on the internet, man. Thank God for anonymity, right? And last up, we have this final story, a website dedicated to preserving prototypes, betas, and other unreleased versions of games has closed down. A website known as Forest of Illusion unexpectedly shut down their website and Twitter presence today. Not long afterwards, their Twitter account was reactivated and a message was released with a link to their official statement on archive.org, which reads, as we reach the end of a six-year journey dedicated to game preservation, we must regretfully announce the closure of Forest of Illusion. We've come to the decision that we can no longer keep the site running. This is for a few reasons, but is primarily due to not being able to provide the necessary time and energy to maintain our cherished platform. We express our sincerest gratitude to our supporters and followers. Thank you for being part of this extraordinary adventure, and thank you to all past and present patrons who helped us to get where we are. Forest of Illusion a few days ago released a compilation of Nintendo 64 ROMs that were used in the LodgeNet systems in the 90s and 2000s in various hotels. If you're old enough or maybe was in a hotel that uh, had, for whatever reason, still had these things operational, it was essentially a Nintendo 64 system with a Nintendo 64 controller that would allow you to select a game and play while you were in your hotel. Apparently, there were some hard drives associated with actually feeding these ROMs, these special ROMs. These weren't identical 100% to the ROMs that were released to retail for normal people to purchase and play on their own Nintendo 64 systems, but slightly modified special versions for these LodgeNet systems. They were able to recover 31 of 38 known ROMs, I believe. And, you know, that's the kind of website Forest of Illusion was. 
And, you know, we have a couple of other websites. Uh, Hidden Palace is another one of them. Hard for Games is a YouTuber who is dedicated to talking about a lot of these prototypes, betas, and other various versions of these games that aren't necessarily officially released. It's definitely a niche part of video gaming that not a lot of people know about. Now that said, there are some Discord screenshots that are going around that kind of seem to paint what's going on with Forest of Illusion in a slightly different picture than what they announced. It seems like it might be somewhat legal related, but so far not much more information has been released and we may not ever know exactly what's going on. So hopefully those guys are okay and hopefully places like Hidden Palace aren't affected either. I included this because it's an interesting little story because I'm a big fan of video game preservation. Now what Forest of Illusion helped to preserve is slightly different than, than what I'm really concerned about. These are pre-release games and sometimes they're games in various levels of completion. You know, sometimes the entire game is broken and nearly unplayable. If you think about it, before digital distribution, and during E3's heyday, you know, most companies would need to create a special build of the game to be played on the show floor. Sometimes these games would be completely different by the time it was released to retail. Other times the game itself would be more of a demonstration of what the game could be. You know, one of the more famous examples is the Ocarina of Time Space World demo. You know, it's probably one of the most sought after ROMs that may or may not still exist. It features a very early iteration of Link the enemies and the maps that would evolve into what we now know as Ocarina of Time. You know, other groups like Force Evolution have also released games that were canceled before release for one reason or another. Another one of those famous examples is the release of Earthbound Zero. It was a fully translated version of Mother One for the NES that Nintendo of America decided to just not release. Nintendo eventually released it to the Wii U Virtual Console in 2015, Star Fox 2 is another example. It was preserved and released a long time ago before finally being included in the SNES Classic. Now, most of these releases tend to be curiosities rather than substantial releases that are worth playing. Being able to experience a work-in-progress version of the game that someone in quality assurance may have experienced in order to, you know, provide bugs and feedback. Or maybe, you know, playing a version of the game that was provided to a magazine for review that was only 80% complete, but may have been different than the final release. It's always sad to see a group like this shut down, but preservation has a large following and there are going to be others to pick up where they left off. But those groups may not release the games publicly to experience like Forest of Illusion did. So the only other thing that we may have is maybe a um, collection of documents to let us know what exactly was different or changed in the builds that they get to document and preserve themselves. And that's going to do it for today's news for Friday, April 28th. Don't forget to rate the podcast five stars and don't forget to drop a review for it. If you like content of the visual variety, check out the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at pixels and pints. We will be back on Monday, 3 p.m. Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern for more video game news. I hope you get to enjoy your Tears of the Kingdom OLED switch if you grabbed one. Have a great weekend, everybody.